The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of, much, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Peter Schwanda, and I serve as a deacon here at CTK. It's my privilege to look at God's word with you today. We also have the privilege of hearing later on from the Rusenkos as they prepare to minister overseas. So the best word you hear from a preacher today just might be, this sermon will be shorter than usual. This week I read two timely quotes from people concerned with division and individualism in our nation. The first was written in 1840. Not only does democracy make every man forget his ancestors, but it hides his descendants and separates his contemporaries from him. Alexis de Tocqueville. He warns against forgetting our past, forgetting our future, and being divided in the present. The second quote was written just this week. Realize there is more to our divisions than simply different convictions. Behind them all stands the dark figure of the divider. John Yates, former Falls Church rector. He's drawing, I think, on the fact that the Greek word for the devil is diabolos, and it means literally the divider. Yates is warning us against division in the church and reminding us that Christ calls us to unity. These are wise words as we turn to our passage in Genesis this morning. It's a story of our past, of origins. It's a story of our future, the generations to come. And it's a passage that addresses questions that we ask as humans, which often reveal our divisions. What are the possibilities we have as humans? 
what are the responsibilities, and what are the rewards or freedoms we should enjoy. We're in a sermon series called The King and His Calling. As Christians, I remind you that we are to pray for our elected officials, but that we pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our King. Jesus calls us with authority. He calls us to simplicity, to authenticity, and this morning, responsibility. Let's take a look at our passage this morning from Genesis. You might wonder, well, why do we take a look at a passage from Genesis written long before the birth of Christ to listen to the voice of Jesus? Like our gospel hymn reminded us, it's also written in Colossians 1. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Jesus was there, speaking, speaks to us now. Genesis is not some silver bullet to heal political divisions, but it is a reminder for us of who God is and who we are, all created in the image and likeness of God. I think our passage shows us, among other things, three good reminders that we are given broad possibilities to create and fill the earth, that we're given simple responsibilities to care for what is created, and we're offered the great reward to complete and enjoy the work that is done. First, broad possibilities. You likely know that Genesis, first chapter, answers two questions. Who created? Who created? God. Okay. We'll, we'll do better. I know, you're all, used, you're all used to Zoom where you mute your mic and don't respond. Who created? God. What did he create? Everything. We see a laundry list of all the categories, everything that creeps and flies and swims and walks. He created it all. We have a recounting of God's heaven and earth in broad categories. First, he created. He created the heavens, sky, water, land. And then he filled. Filled the heavens with lights, moon, sun, stars, the water with living creatures, the sky with birds, the land with animals. Create and fill. Create and fill. Then, in verse 26, he creates humankind in his image, male and female. And then he stops. He doesn't fill. He creates and fills. He creates and fills. He creates. He creates humans in his image to be like him and to do what he does so that we would continue the creating and filling of God. So what does this look like? Look at verse 28 in our passage. It says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're commanded to create, to be fruitful and multiply, as our translation says. But this is much more than childbearing. Theologians like to call this the cultural mandate. We know the words culture, cultivate. Uh, if you're a Latin scholar, you know that they come from the Latin for colere, which means to grow, to tend, to foster. We're to fill the earth with culture. That is a broad word, which means we have broad possibilities. The Septuagint is the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. In many ways, it's like a first interpretation 
of the original text. And the Greek word that is used for the phrase that we see as be fruitful is a verb oxano. You might recognize the root. It sounds similar to auxiliary or augment. These are words that both indicate an adding on, a becoming greater. So in other words, we are to add on to what God has already created. And the standard is really quite simple. There's one consistent adjective that God uses in this passage to describe what he's created, and it is good. Eventually, even very good. So for you, as you work, as you create, as you invest in the relationships around you, as you write, consider what good you can add to God's. And whatever you ask, is it good? Does it reflect God's goodness? When my wife Mimi and I were dating, I went down to Atlanta uh, to do the standard uh, request and presentation of my intentions to her parents. I will never forget it that as soon as the words were out of my mouth, my father-in-law Jay, a man of few words, stood up, offered his hand, and just said simply, you have our blessing. Whew! Simple words, but they gave me a lot of confidence. God's blessing should do that for us. It should free us to these broad possibilities. Many of you knew Daniel Lee, a parishioner and friend who passed away from COVID-19. Daniel was a gifted architect, and as someone whose training happens to be in architecture, I love to talk shop with Daniel. You might also know that many architects are notorious for having a bit of an ego. They are much like the builders of Babel's tower who, as the text tells us, tried to make a name for themselves. But Daniel often told me and has written in various places that God is the true architect and he saw his work as a chance to continue the good work of God, to continue as if in conversation with God. He did this because he understood that the possibilities for humans to use their gifts for God's glory were broad. So I invite you to consider what gifts have you been given and how will you use them for God's glory? Look how verse 28 continues. It continues with two more commands. These are what we would call imperative verbs. In other words, if you're a Christian, these aren't optional. So we have be fruitful, multiply, subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing. Perhaps one of the most confused set of verbs for Christians in all history. We've used it as license to abuse creation, unfortunately. But I'd remind you what it says in 1 Peter 5.3. It says, do not lord it over what has been entrusted to you. See, in, in that same Greek translation that I mentioned before, the verb is kata curiosite. You might recognize the middle, curios. Sounds like curie. If you're a Latin scholar, if you, you have, are familiar with the liturgy, liturgy, it's a phrase that means Lord. That fancy verb is really just communicating to us that our relationship to what God has created should be as the Lord's. Not lording it over, but as the Lord caring 
for what life has been created. This is the simple responsibility that's given to us, to care for what God has created. I think a helpful way to remember this is responsibility can be thought of as our ability to respond to what God has done. Response, ability. Scripture reminds us that we're not to use up or consume our resources. In Genesis 2, we find Adam commanded to care for the garden. Leviticus tells us that Moses was commanded to give even the promised land a Sabbath rest. Caring for the environment and its resources should ultimately be good for people and even our economy. These things are not mutually exclusive. Think about it. I'd argue that loving your neighbor might even include caring for the environment, the air quality, the water quality, that's gonna affect your neighbor downstream or upwind. A challenge for us is that we're disconnected from the sources and resources in our world. I know this because I have a two-year-old. She finishes a favorite food and she says, Daddy, you go to the store and get more? She's about to break something and she says, it okay, Daddy, you fix it. At our best, we might be like that. At our worst, we have a given object and we say, not broken, it's not used up, but there's something better and shinier out there, so let's replace it. We're disconnected from the sources of things. But thankfully, much in part to science, we have a better understanding of how the earth works, of how the systems of the earth works. Better understanding than previous generations. And if we know more about energy production, about plastics, about environmental abuse, our actions should probably be different. A Christian response, if we know that something causes harm, is to act in light of that truth. So if you remember last week, if we know that plastic straws hurt sea turtles, then suck it up and go get a reusable straw. I'm not trying to virtue signal. If I want a virtue signal, I'll go hop in my Prius and you can laugh at me down the road. Yes, I got that when gas prices were much, much higher. There's a lot that's done with supposed care for creation. I'm aware of that. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Our responsibility is to care for what God has created, not because it's some extra law that earns us salvation. God took care of that with Jesus on the cross. But if it's not to be virtue signaling, it should be at least virtue that gives God glory. Our fairly harsh gospel passage reminds us that being a steward involves responsibility of caring for and not abusing what God has given to us. There's very harsh words from Jesus for those who don't do that. Much is expected from those who have been given much. We can clearly say that we have been given much. So I encourage you, for you to likewise think about what you have been given and the simple responsibilities you're called to, to care for what's been created, yes, the environment, also to care for your neighbor, to care for all humans created in God's image. Let's move down our passage uh, a bit more rapidly towards the end as we come to a conclusion. 
the beginning of chapter 2, we read that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's so important that the sentence literally says the same thing twice. It's a reminder of this great reward that waits for us when we accept these simple responsibilities and embrace these broad possibilities. God completed his work, then he rested, he enjoyed it. Like much of Genesis, it's a pattern for us to follow. Indeed, it's actually a a gift for us to receive. Consider, especially if you have ever been out of work, the gift that it is to have work that is worthwhile for you to do. And consider, when you've worked a hard day, a hard week, that it's a great reward to set aside time to rest and enjoy the fruits of those labors. I think a helpful summary of much of Genesis is that we have a vision of flourishing, of human flourishing, of God's goodness in creation and our ability to respond to that goodness. But if we're honest, while it's easy for a preacher to make a sermon about broad responsibilities, simple possibilities, or the other way around sound easy, we know that this is hard. It involves complex decisions, some that are even political. We're in good company finding God's command follow to, hard to follow. In fact, these simple commands given to Adam led to his failure. We share in that failure. We share in that guilt. But we also receive Jesus's forgiveness, and this leads us to grace in the midst of failure. Because Jesus is described as the second Adam. He fulfills where Adam failed. He's both God and man, and he calls us as our king to follow him, to follow him in creating and filling the world with life that is good, to care for what has been created, and to enjoy the great reward. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, we have a rest to enjoy here on earth when we complete our work. But more importantly, there is an eternal rest to enjoy in heaven because Jesus has completed his work. Amen. Amen.